Welcome to Warp and Weft. I'm your host, Allison Carr. This is a podcast where we explore the stories, practices, and skills that help us weave our world back together. If you're already a subscriber here, you'll probably notice right off the bat that this podcast has a new name. Yay! I'm celebrating the new name today. Um, so Whereas normally we feature an interview in this podcast, today we're going to be talking about the new name and the slightly clarified mission. It's still going to be a lot like the old podcast, but I sort of feel like I have a clarified purpose with what we're doing here. And then also we're going to be diving into the story around the zine that I released last year um, and the process that I went through with um, naming harms that happened to me in the former mystery school that I trained in. So first of all, just wanted to acknowledge that the reason why I normally interview folks uh, is because um, monologuing like this is not maybe my strong suit. So bear with me here. I'm going to try to get through this clearly uh, without too many side loops. Um, first of all, I wanted to talk about the new name. I'm very excited um, to have landed on a new name for this podcast, honestly, I never loved the Sacred Wheel. I named it, it was one of those names, it's named after a program that I ran um, around the holidays of the Wheel of the Year. Um, it was a live program. I think I stopped running it in 2017 to 2018 was the last year that I ran it. Um, it is a program that I'm working on getting back in evergreen form. So any of you out there who wanted to take it and missed it, it will be coming back in a slightly revised form. Won't be running the live version of it anymore, but I have just been diving into a lot more research, a lot more um, accurate ways of thinking of the holidays and celebrating them. And I'm excited to get that info out to you guys. So look for that coming next uh, in bulk next February. But even the name of that program was something that I chose because, well, I'm terrible at naming things and I had an idea and I didn't want to get hung up on not having a name for it. So I chose the most obvious, probably quite plain um, name I could for it. And then this podcast emerged out of what one year was actually a set of guest speakers for each holiday um, around a certain set of themes and originally it was going to be a video project and then um, I realized that I actually quite enjoyed an audio project and so those videos became podcast episodes and um, since then I've completely discarded the video and now I just like to do podcasts so um, this that the name sort of just morphed and it was never a name that I felt super attached to. It was sort of the name, it was a, it was a placeholder name. And um, it finally felt like time to actually give this project its own name and separate it out from the class that I teach on the same subject. And so warp and weft. So for those of you that are weavers, you already know what that term means. I am not a weaver. I'm going to own up to that right here. Um, I am a knitter. Um, I'm learning how to spin. So uh, I feel like I maybe 
have qualifications to use this name, but warp and weft have to do with um, their weaving terms. Um, so the warp are the strings on a loom that run throughout the entire weaving piece. So there would be what the strings that you set up uh, beforehand. And then the weft are the threads that you weave in and out of those warp strings to create the tapestry. Um, I settled on this term for the, the name of my podcast sort of as a nice metaphor. One, I do want to talk about this process of how we weave our world back together um, or just weave our worlds. Uh, and then secondly, this term kept showing up for me in various little places. Um, it kind of would come through as a message from... I don't know, spirit, my guides, whatever. Um, and it just sort of, it actually kept kind of showing up for me as a wisdom teaching. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about how, um, what this term means for me, and maybe give you a deeper context into what we're doing with this new name and kind of a refined uh, or renewed direction for the podcast. So um, the first place this na this term showed up that wasn't exactly related to weaving was in my acupuncture training. Um, so I took a, a class in the um, sort of the classical roots of a lot of what you learn in acupuncture school, um, talking to taught by a scholar who was a scholar in both the Chinese language and also acupuncture. And so one of the things we talked about a lot is the translation of the characters. Um, for anybody who doesn't know Chinese characters, and I do not claim to be an expert, I found this class to be highly, highly educational. I learned so much and it made me realize just how much Western acupuncturists who don't speak Chinese are missing from the medicine. Um, but one of the things we talked about is how each Chinese character has within it uh, what are called radicals, which are the, the component parts that the character is made up of. And each radical is a small picture. And the picture will show up in different characters that mean completely different things. But they're kind of like the syllables of the word and they all, like, like a Latin root might lead you to know about the meaning of the word, but imagine it in picture form. And so not only do you just have not have a sound and a syllable, you also have an image to go with it. And so the root or the radical used uh, for the character that describes the acupuncture channels called the Jing Luo, and I probably totally butchered the tonation on that. Um, Anyway, has a picture of a loom, and we talked a lot about how the warp strings, the, the acupuncture channels could be compared to the warp strings in that everybody has a set of the, you know, 12 main channels, and they roughly follow the same path on everybody. Um, so that's the first place I encountered this term as a more of a wisdom teaching. All right, and then the other thing I want to talk about, and this is perhaps more important than the acupuncture reference, is the way we can think of this metaphor having to do with sort of uh, ancestral, our ancestors and lineage and culture and language. Um, so first of all, I want to name the fates and the norns, you know, the weaving, spinning, cutting uh, characters from mythology that sort of this idea that our lives are a weaving or a thread. Um, and then this idea has been presented to me a couple different places, uh, 
usually in conversations other people have had that I've been uh, privileged to witness. Um, And so the first was at a uh, magic camp I actually was attending uh, with my in my old mystery school. So look, something good did come out of that experience. Lots good came out of that experience. But and the and the teaching was this that uh, we can think of our ancestors and those who came before us, our lineages as the warp strings, um, and each of our individual lives is like a thread within the tapestry. So we we bring our colors, we bring our specific pattern, we bring our way of doing things to this already established um, structure that holds us. So we also might want to think of as those warp strings. So one string might be our ancestral lineage. One string might be the language we speak. One string might be the land that we find ourselves on. Um, another string might be the culture that we're embedded within. Um, Teachings themselves might be a string on that loom. Um, And then the second place I heard this very same metaphor was not actually about weaving at all, but it was about music. And it was on an edition of the Fair Folk podcast. Um, And I should have looked up that that podcast number for you but she's interviewing uh somebody from a folk tradition I believe it was Baltic and he is uh his family has been practicing this same folk singing tradition um going all the way back and it's a tradition that has um a droning bass part to it and then a, a melody on top of that and he talks about how the drone is our ancestors and then the melody is the is the the thing we bring to it and when I heard that I immediately was reminded of this wisdom teaching about the the warp and the weft the loom strings and then of course I love the idea of the metaphor of repair or reweaving um, kind of darning the socks so we can't go back in time, right? We can't go back to the past. I think a lot of times in animist or pagan or witchcraft traditions, there's a real idealization of the past. Um, and the truth is we, we're here now. Like this is, this is the, our string allotment has been given to us and we are where we are on the weaving. Um, and we can't be in a different place. Um, but also, you know, there's places where the the strings have frayed or the, the some strings are weaker than the others so how do we repair those relationships how do we weave those things back in how do we how do we repair the rift um so some of the things that i am interested in talking about with this project are stories of repair how we repair our relationship with the land, how we repair interpersonal relationships, um, how we repair our connections to our own bodies, um, how we repair cultural and historical wrongs, and then also how do we weave forward. Um, So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the podcast. I actually am going to put out a call for submissions if this is striking a chord with you and you have a story you'd like to share. Um, but that's basically what the new name means to me. 
Uh, I'd love to hear if you have any thoughts or reflections on that. But yeah, so that's the new name moving forward. That's what we will be. And now I'd like to move on to what uh, we're going to talk about for the remainder of this episode. So if you're just joining me for the very first time, um, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background on this. So a year and a half ago, I published a story about a mystery school that I had been involved in. Um, At the time I published it a year and a half ago, I had been out of this mystery school. I no longer had a relationship with it um, for six years. It had been since I had been involved and been part of it. Um, Prior to that, I had also been involved with it for six years. So, um, you know, it was a good, it was more than a decade of my life that I was coming to terms with. Um, I had studied in the school for four years, and after I'd graduated, I'd become a student teacher. I had asked various leaders within the school to undergo an initiation process. There were many people while I was there that were also involved in initiation process. Um, And in 2013, before my son was born, I severed that relationship. because I was asked to make a choice that I couldn't make. Um, I was asked to adopt my mentor's story about my wife and partner, um, which would have in effect have ended uh, my marriage. And I chose not to do that. Um, So like I said, I was pregnant at the time. Um, There were reasons my teacher was asking me to make this, uh, adopt her story about things. And um, I go into that a lot in the zine, my personal story around that. But for our purposes here, um, basically, I decided not to, it would have radically altered and changed my life, my son's life, her life. for what I think might have been the worst. And so I severed relationship, the relationship. Um, I lost my initiation process. Me making that choice meant me having to give up my initiation. Um, through the course of the next year, you know, my I had a team of about four other initiators and they all sort of fell by the wayside. And I talk about it a lot in the zine. The zine, by the way, is called The Sovereign. Sovereign. And you can get a copy of it on my website. I will give a link before this episode is over. Um, but that after that happened, um, there was a gradual sort of reckoning with what had happened. I knew at the moment that it had happened that things didn't feel right. You know, like I felt like things hadn't gone down very justly. Um, but it was an initiation process. And we don't have a lot of cultural context for initiation in our world. And so there was nothing I could point to. There's no set of standard rules about how you initiate somebody or what's allowed and what's not. And in fact, most initiations are quite secret. And um So any attempt I had to try to talk to my other initiators or uh, teachers about it sort of fell on deaf ears. And um, I 
was left to kind of grapple with detangling the experience by myself. Um, in the six years that ha- that passed between when I left and when I finally published this piece, um, a lot happened. A lot of healing happened on my part. A lot of um, coming to terms. And for me, it all came through the writing process. You know, there was a moment probably about two years before I finally published where I, I wrote a version of the story where I no longer felt like I was apologizing or making excuses for my teachers. And it was sort of the first honest, clean writing I had been able to make. And then through the wonderful grace and holding that a group of friends had for me. Um, I shared the story with a few people and got feedback and um, edited and added and edited and added and rewrote. And um, it took me a long time. It took me, like I said, probably two years to write this and then finally decide to publish it. And honestly, even up until the day I published, or when I first published, actually a week after I published, I only published it on a Patreon account that had about 20 people attached to it, not very many of whom were actually in the school. So I first published it quite um, underground, I would say, or kind of hidden. It was like, it was it was a very scary thing to, um, to speak out about this. Um, up until I had done it, uh, you know, it all my friends were, a lot of my friends were still in the school. Um, I had found a few, and these were the people that were um, available to read drafts for me who had kind of separated themselves enough from it that I didn't feel like I'd be betraying anything by letting them read the story and that they would actually give me honest feedback. Um, So in the zine, what I talk a lot about is... um, let me put it this way. I ask a lot of questions about whether this school was a cult. And I explore a lot about how disorganized attachment was working strongly within at least my initiation process, if not the school at large. So I want to take a second just to talk a little bit about disorganized attachment if you're not uh super up on attachment theory. So attachment theory comes to us first. It's a theory that came out of the child development um, school of psychology. And it is also a um, something now that is very strongly coming into um, marriage and family counseling realms. But it's this idea that um, as humans, we have adapted our nervous systems have adapted to to take cues of safety from the people who we are um, intimately connected to. And the process of growing from childhood into adulthood is one of um, learning that it's safe to form attachment bonds with other humans. Um, I think in the past, there was sort of this misnomer that once you got to be an adult, you no longer had attachment needs. And I very much take issue with that. I think attachment is a baseline um, human need. We all need to know that there's somebody out there that gets us and that we're safe with. Um, There's four different styles of attachment adaptations. So 
depending on how we grew up and what forms of attachment were safe within our families, um, affects how we are able to attach to our partners, adults, intimate friends in our lives. So there's secure attachment, insecure attachment, avoidant, and disorganized style. Of all of these, the idea that everybody needs attachment is a given. Um, We need other people to help us regulate our nervous systems. Obviously, people are not the only way that we regulate our nervous systems, right? Um, Most of us can regulate ourselves without somebody in our lives, but it's pretty important for quality of life, I would say, that we feel the people that are closest to us um, are safe and there for us. And also, when you think about it, just in terms of how we evolved, right, like we're pack animals, right? So we are highly, our nervous systems are highly, highly attuned to be scanning the facial expressions, the positions, you know, even the the eye movements or eyebrow movements, the micro expressions on the faces of the humans around us, getting information. And most of the time, our brain is filtering that information out as, as unnecessary, but it's still getting in there. So what I talk about in the zine is how attachments were, what do I want to say, not handled well by leadership within the school. Um, I believe we were sometimes purposefully manipulated um, and definitely our attachments to our teachers were threatened or exploited um, in order to compel us to do certain things. Um, So for me, in, in choosing to walk away from the relationship with my mentor, I was in a highly, highly, highly um, dysregulated place. I was going through a crisis within my marriage. Um, I was pregnant. I was facing a lot of really difficult questions. And I was cleaving to a mentor um, as, a source, as a source of regulation and support. Um, Disorganized attachment is this phenomenon that happens where you simultaneously need and love someone and then also they are a source of danger. So it happens a lot in abusive family situations, happens a lot in abusive intimate partner relationships, and it also happens in what we could call high demand groups or cults. Um, I don't come right out. I want to be really clear. I'm not calling my former school a cult. I'm leaving that up to the reader to decide for themselves. I'm leaving it up to the individuals still within that school to decide for themselves. What I am doing is drawing some similarities and asking some questions um, and hopefully giving a template so that other people can answer that question for themselves. Um, There's a lot of other things I discuss in that zine about how the dynamics within that school have some other, there's some other red flags going on. Like for instance, a lot of, there's there's a concentric circle-like structure uh, as you get closer to the leadership within the school. So there is an inner circle 
uh, within the group. And a lot of the members of that inner circle have cut ties with their families of origins. Um, There was ways in which lies or rumors or misinformation were spread about students and initiates behind their back. So for instance, I have since writing this story, learned from another student who left the school that they were told that I psychically attacked them um, during a specific instance, Uh, something I had no idea that was even being said about me, but I'm not surprised. I've heard from other students who have left that um, they were told directly by leadership they were accused of psychically attacking other people. Um, I go into it in a lot more detail, and I sort of take the template of, like, what should a healthy group look like and then what was going on in the school Um, as a way to start picking it apart. Uh, There's a couple things I wanted to talk about looking back. Uh, You know, if you want to, if you want to get a copy of the zine, you can read. I don't want to, I don't want to redo the zine here on the podcast, but I do want to talk about some of the things I've learned. Um, And there were a couple things I wanted to talk about the process of what it was like to write it and what it was like in the aftermath of writing it. So first of all, when I look back at the story, and if you haven't read it yet and you do read it, I just want to note this. Like I'm I'm really struck by how careful I felt I had to be. Um, like I was, I feel like I was the first person from a more like in a, within a leadership position within that school to kind of come out with something like this. Um, Like I said, I was a student teacher. I definitely, there are definitely people who were in deeper and had higher positions of authority in that school than I did. But I definitely TA'd for a lot of classes. Even after I left the school for a long time, I presented a very public face of honoring my teachers and naming them and feeling very proud of the school that I came from and really wanting to maintain that connection um, and maybe even the status that came with being connected with that school. And so as I was writing it, there was definitely this feeling of um, feeling like I had to write it very carefully, otherwise I would be discounted. And I also want to name here that there were countless folks who left the school um, after only having been in it uh, for a short period of time. And there were definitely people who were very vocal about having a critique of the school. Um, Because of the way that the school sort of had a, sort of had a self-promoting feedback loop going on. Um, I do want to name that folks who left the school early and were critical of it, or even folks that were forced out of the school early, um, were very much written off. And the problems they were highlighting about the school got turned into problems with them by students, by leadership, by me. And so I'm not the first person to have named something wrong with that school. I was simply the first person that was high enough up within the school that people still within the school paid attention. And that's problematic. And I participated in that problematic part. Um, 
And I guess I just want to take a moment now to apologize to folks who left before I did and attempted to speak up about things before I did. Um, And I very much was part of the process of writing that off, of wanting to believe that the problem was just with them or sort of isolating the issue and not looking at it as a larger, larger problem with the structure of the school. Um, So to those folks who, any of them that might be listening, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I did that. That was my bad. Um, I realize now that that was part of a process of like, what do I want to call it? I was, I was deeply embedded in a process, the school, the larger school sort of fed into, um, but individually, yeah, that, that was my bad and I'm sorry. This episode of the Warp and Weft podcast is brought to you by me, Allison Carr. This is a completely independent, non-sponsored project at the moment. But one of the ways I make my way in the world is through the healing arts and teaching. I've combined both those skills in the most recent class I've created called the Resilience Course. It's a course that gives you instant access to tools and strategies for helping you settle and calm your nervous system. It's a self-paced five-module course that'll teach you techniques for finding a sense of safety and ease no matter what life is currently throwing at you. I designed this course just as the COVID-19 pandemic was hitting the U.S., so I designed it knowing that my students were going to be coming to the class stressed out, probably in a place of fight-or-flight activation. The course is a combination of exercises that help immediately and some theory about how your nervous system works, why you can feel stuck and frozen and scared all at the same time, and how you can regulate that so you can feel more calm, safe, and able to function. Because functioning is good. Like I said before, it's self-paced, so you can sign up at any time. You can take as much time or as little time as you like moving through the curriculum. And the best part is that it's currently, and for the foreseeable future, half-priced. I'm keeping it half-priced for the duration of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we don't know how long that's going to be. So right now that makes the course only $25. To register, you can find this course at resiliencecrashcourse, all one word, dot teachery, dot co. Again, that's resiliencecrashcourse, all one word, dot teachery, T-E-A-C-H-E-R-Y, dot co. Or you can go to my website, alisoncar.net, and find a link for it under the Work With Me tab. You kind of have to scroll to the bottom of the page. After my story was published, um, there was kind of a whirlwind that happened. Um, Honestly, I was really blown away by how many folks came forward and identified themselves to me as resonating with what I wrote. Um, 
and I guess in that respect, I'm really proud. I mean, it's I essentially that's how what I was trying to write was a a story that would get through to the folks still inside the school. Um, so as a writer, it makes me happy that I was able to do that. Um, a lot of people um, left the school. A lot of people cut ties with their initiation process. Um, and certainly, I heard feedback. I don't. I, I. I'm not at all taking credit for that. Um, I think I applied pressure to a wound or a fault line that was well cracked. Um, and so all it needed was a tiny tap, which my story was able to give it. Um, definitely heard from folks right as I published that these conversations had already started within the school. So. Maybe just really just a moment of kind of being with the zeitgeist and, um, you know, reading, reading, seeing the signs, um, as, as you will, or just being lucky, really. Um, I heard, I didn't speak directly, but I heard that there was a lot of, um, focus on the word cult and perhaps that was a justification for sort of discounting what I wrote which I get um it it's a powerful word it invokes strong reactions like I said before I, I really want to clarify that like I never called the school itself a cult um I examined a lot of questions about what the school and the inner circle do and don't have in common with a cult. Um, I guess in the end, the conclusion I come to is that it doesn't ultimately matter. Um, what matters is that certain abusive patterns within the school end. Um, and I guess I want to name that here. Mostly that's the practice of initiating folks in a trial by fire kind of way which is like ramping up the pressure in order to force a crisis. Um, and I that's why I brought some of the attachment theory stuff in. And I also just want to name sources here. I'm, I'm talking about this as if I uh, came up with this on my own. I do not. I did not. Um, so some of the things that were instrumental in me coming to the conclusions I came to were a book by an author named Alexandra Stain. It's called Terror, Love, and Brainwashing, and it examines how attachment dynamics work within cults. That was hugely profound on me figuring out. I, I think, um, you know, you read the checklists about is this group a cult and isn't it? And certainly there's some boxes you can check and there's some boxes that you can't check. Um, I think a cult is one of those things where there's no... There's no counsel out there, right? There's no court of law determining. There's no criteria. You can't just say, yes, run it through a rubric and say, yes, it's a cult or no, it's not. Every group is different. Every group is unique. Um, there are groups that have things in common with a cult. It's like, how many do you need? How many boxes in the in the circle, in the checks? You know, how many is it? Do we, when we get to 50%, are we at a cult? Like there's no standard for any of this. Um, in the end, what I figured is that it, it, it doesn't matter what we call it. It's just these certain things need to stop. Um, 
So one of the things was that that I that I took from that piece definitely was this idea of disorganized attachment needs to stop within the school. So and I say this all the time, it's like in our initiation processes, we were being asked to make well, I'll speak for mine. I was being asked to make a life-altering choice. I was being asked to make a fundamental choice to how my life was going to look. It was, like I said, it was going to affect the future of my child. It was going to affect the future of my uh, wife. It was going to affect the future of my family. And the way that that choice was laid before me was in a, a, with a lot of pressure. And as I tried to take the time to carefully consider the options and the choices I had before me, the pressure mounted and increased. And this was all false pressure being put on me by my mentor. There's absolutely no reason that this needed to be a pressure situation. There was no rush. There was no hurry. Um, there was no reason. You can't make good decisions. Like you, you literally, your brain can't when you're in a fight or flight place. And I was definitely in a fight or fight place. And my interactions with my mentor continued to put me in a worse and worse fight or fight, flight, fight or flight place. Um, I didn't realize that until I, I started reading about the trauma response and about disorganized attachment and about... Um, our nervous system and how it works. I think I felt I always carried a little bit of doubt and guilt. Um, could I have made it? Could I have walked through that in a way that didn't end my relationships? Was the question that I, with my mentor, was the question that I was left with. And when I finally read that piece of writing, I was able to realize that no, no, I actually couldn't because there was no reason for me to be needing to make this decision in a high pressure environment. And in fact, um, having finally experienced what it's like to work with somebody who's somatically trained and is attachment friendly and trauma informed, um, you make much better choices when you have somebody who will help you regulate. And it's not, um, so my first mission was simply just to be like, look, there's a better way to do this. Like we do not need to be putting people in crisis in order to test their spiritual mettle. Um, certainly a lot of initiations have a threshold experience. You know, certainly they, a lot of initiations are about doing the hard thing or putting yourself in a place where you're not quite sure you have what it takes to get through it. I don't think those situations should be manufactured emotional crises that where the the pressure is mainly coming from one person in your life um i wanted to name a couple other resources that were helpful uh in in me writing this and i named them in the zine so the other is um a woman i've been had the good fortune to study with and also do some somatic healing work with, and that's Carmen Spaniola. Um, and her podcast, the Numinous podcast, is actually how I heard about Alexandra Stain's book. Um, there's an interview with Alexandra on her podcast, and then also a brilliant interview with Matthew Remsky about um, cults and his experience with the Shambhala 
um, uh, what school, whatever you want to call it. Um, so yeah, I don't want to dwell too much on the school or what's happened since my story came out. Um, because first of all, I chose not to participate in the process. So there was a large accountability process that I will say mainly started after another group called the School Out. So a uh, group called the Sacred Lattice, which is a Black and Indigenous person of color led um, collective that teaches magic and mystery traditions for other Black and Indigenous people of color. Um, there was a public call out that they uh, put on the internet about leadership within the school and graduates of the school perpetuating white supremacy around conferences that were organized and also within the teachings of the school. Um, my experience or, or what I witnessed was the school take a, um, that was the piece that finally uh, pushed the school into a place of taking action on a, an accountability process. Very grateful to the Sacred Lattice. Their call out had nothing to do with mine. Um, I don't even know that they were aware of the story I'd written and certainly very important work that they did in naming that um, and also, us, I'm sorry that it had to be them to do it. Um, really, any number of us should have called that out about the school um, before they had to take the time to do it. So I chose not to participate in the accountability process, mostly because I feel like an accountability process is for those folks who want to continue or repair a relationship with the school or for people who feel like they need to have a platform to speak about the harms done to them. Um, I had already had my platform. Um, I'd already put an incredible amount of work and labor into writing my story, into writing it very carefully. I was very concerned in the writing of my story that I didn't overstate harms. And I rewrote and rewrote sections of it multiple times to make sure I really got at the emotional truth of what was happening for me uh, and that I didn't exaggerate and that I didn't um, obscure my own responsibility. So I felt like I had already kind of done my work um, and honestly, I didn't want to really, really want to want to put any more labor into the school. I watched, you know, the folks that did work through the accountability process with the school. And I just want to say there was a lot of student labor that went into that. And a lot of folks who put a lot of heart and soul into that process. And I guess I also just want to voice like, those teachers were very fortunate and lucky to have you putting all that work in. And I'm not sure that they were deserving of it. Uh, that's my opinion, though. And I'm, I don't want to speak. I don't know that. I know that there are some folks who feel like it, it wasn't satisfying for them. But certainly there must be folks out there who do feel like it was worth it. Um, I have had people keep me up to date on the changes the school has made. Um, I guess the bottom line is I... 
I don't feel like that school should exist anymore. Um, I don't think its teachers should be in positions of leadership any longer. Uh, and I also recognize that the teacher who founded that school probably feels like she has no other livelihood options. Um, so in that respect, I understand why she's not closing the school. Um, I don't personally feel like she's taken full responsibility for everything that happened at her school. Um, there was a split in leadership and one teacher, the teacher who was most named in a lot of the harms and the teacher who, um, I sort of name as being the most harmful to me and my zine left the school, no longer teaches there or has any, um, leadership roles there. Uh, but I still, still don't think the founder of the school has given a good reason for why she allowed abuse to happen on her watch. I don't, I have not seen her admit to any of the interpersonal harms that she herself participated in. Um, I did receive a very short, very impersonal apology from her, which was attached to a larger accountability letter that she wrote. She has taken accountability for modifying the structure of the school and attempting to address the ways that whiteness was operating within the structure of the school. I have more to say about how whiteness is operating within the foundational philosophy of the school. Um, but I think... Uh, I want to take my time with that and we'll be working on some writings about that in the future. Um, I don't really feel like saying much more about her apology other than it was an apology. Um, I didn't find it especially personal or compelling that um, she spent a lot of time apologizing for even apologizing in the first place. Um, there was a short one sentence apology that didn't name any of the, didn't name any of the harms uh, or even that she had done me harm. Uh, it was very much like um, none of that. I'm sorry for what happened to you. None of it should have happened. Sort of, I guess, leaving me to believe that she didn't feel like uh, she'd actually harmed me. Um, I will note, you know, if she's listening or if anyone here is listening that's in contact with her, I'm always open to a complete apology. I'm always open to apology. You know, she spent a long time apologizing for even getting in touch with me. And I just feel like, hey, I, if you want to hope, I'm, I'm open for apologies. Uh, you don't have to apologize for apologizing. Um, so I wanted to take the time rather than really spend a lot of time on what happened to the school, because if you, you know, I'm, you notice I'm not even naming the school here. Uh, and I'm doing that very purposefully because I feel like it's out there. It's not hidden. It's easy to find out what I'm talking about. If you're in Portland, you probably already know. If you're not in Portland, it's not an, school doesn't have an online component to it. You're unlikely to join the school accidentally without knowing. Um, I don't think it needs a lot of uh, national attention on it. Um, and also, it's like, I just, I also just don't, I don't want to be the person holding the banner of continually, you know, naming or calling that school. 
I'm more actually what I'm more interested in and the reason whole reason I want to talk about this is like what are the larger things that don't have anything to do with that particular school that we can all learn from um, so in that vein I wanted to take a moment to use the time we have left to discuss what I learned about the process of publicly speaking out um, and share some takeaways so that if you or someone you know ever find yourself in this position um, Maybe you'll better know how to support them, or maybe if you're thinking about engaging in this process yourself, naming a group that has harmed you, maybe some of this stuff will be helpful. Um, so first of all, I think that my situation was very rare in that this was what I would consider very successful. I don't think these things go always successful. Um, I think it depends on how many other people, how ready how ready people are to hear it, um, and how many other people feel similarly that you do. Um, what I hear from a lot of folks who've gone through this is that it's often a whole lot of whole lot of work, and it's not usually worth it. Um, I also didn't start with a very high bar, so at the time I was about to release my story. Pretty much what I what I figured would happen was that I would lose friends and that mostly the school would ignore it just because I had seen them ignore feedback and critique so often in my time there that I just figured they, they were pretty good at it and that um, this would happen. I really honestly do feel like had the Sacred Lattice not also spoken up when they did, um, this probably too would have been ignored, although... I think it did inspire some folks to leave. Um, but so the fact that folks resonated with my words and that it was part of provoking a major reckoning within the school actually was pretty heartening. Um, so I'm going to start with some of the things that weren't very helpful and talk about each of these so that we can start, so that we can end on a note of like what is helpful. Um, so I made these in a list and I'm just going to read them off and I'll talk a little bit about each one. So number one thing that was not really helpful when I was going through this was folks showing up on my Instagram feed or social media feeds asking me if I had tried calling them in first. I get where this is coming from. I think these these were people I didn't know, so I have to assume that they were students who had come along after I had already severed ties with the school. So I don't have any inkling that they knew who I was prior to this, and all of a sudden they just hear that somebody is calling their beloved school and their beloved teachers cult leaders, which I was not. Going to repeat that again. Um, I was asking some very important questions, but I don't actually ever call the school a cult. Um, some of that is for liability. Uh, so I want to say a couple things about this. First of all, it's just a really unhelpful question when a person has already spoken publicly about a thing. Um, because one, most of the time people don't get to this place. I, I don't know. I really think we have to question this idea that I'm sure call-out culture exists, hands down. Um, I don't see a lot of it operating in my personal sphere. What I see are people 
sitting on harms for a very long time and doing a lot of reckoning with whether they have the right to talk about them and going through a pretty lengthy personal process around whether they're going to speak up or not. And maybe I'm just in a bubble. Uh, Maybe I'm just in a bubble of folks who've done a lot of therapy. But um, I just want to name that. So but a couple things that I want to say. So first of all, it's not a helpful question because what if the answer's no? Then what? I mean, usually the answer's yes, but even if the answer's no, it's already done. Um, the call out, if you will, has happened. I will say, like, I didn't name the school in my um, story. I didn't name them publicly folks who knew me and knew the school and then quickly word got around. And then also, like I said, I never, I never, um, the only things I posted publicly was just information I had learned about cults in general. Uh, there's never, you, you can't, you can't comb, you could comb my site and there's never a place where I say this school is a cult. Um, so really, Yeah, unhelpful question, especially for the person doing the labor of naming the thing. Because even if the answer is no, it's kind of a way of casting uh, doubt or, um, yeah, maybe aspersions on what the person is doing and forcing them to justify what they're doing. Um, So let's just end that. I'd say just not helpful. Uh, maybe a good question to ask a person if you are in a personal relationship with them and they are coming to you and saying, hey, I think I want to name publicly this thing that happened to me, uh, then that would be an appropriate place to say, hey, did you try calling in first? Um, In my instance, I will say, um, I did attempt a discussion with my mentor. It was the, one of the last conversations we, it was the very last conversation we had in person. I, uh, other than us saying hi to each other at social gatherings where I might run into her. Um, I attempted, I had worked with my therapist. I had, it, it, it was months between the time when I had decided to not take her advice and where I needed to go and address it with her. Um, and I talk about this in the zine. I took a long time. I worked up re- a lot of gumption because standing up to people was not my thing at that time and especially standing up to her was terrifying for me I went in um I discussed what wasn't working for me it did not go well um and the very next day after that conversation she severed the relationship via email so um and, the, and then the other piece too is that you know there's certain situations where calling in just doesn't work and to, to this, I just have to say, I think the people who reached out to me with that question on social media um, were, I, I think, were probably relatively still within, like, the first four years, you're still a student in the school, and there's very few opportunities for students within the school to join the ranks of, of um, the inner circle, uh, either through initiation or joining some of the graduate programs they had going on. So, um it would be very hard looking at the school from the very first four years to see anything amiss. And I don't blame folks um, who are in the school for not seeing it. It's purposefully not shown to you within those first four years. But let's do away with um, 
asking folks who have taken the time and the energy to publicly speak about a thing if they've tried calling in first. Because at that point, it doesn't matter. Um, The other unhelpful thing, the second unhelpful thing, was people wanting to talk to me, getting DMs of people saying, I really want to talk to you. Can we talk? Um, It's pretty overwhelming to go through a process like this. Um, You know, I was getting lots of information thrown at me. Uh, There were a lot of posts. There were a lot of people... um, you know, reaching out to me to say that they too had a similar experience. And that's one of the things I'm going to talk about in the things that were helpful. Um, It's really not helpful to reach out and just and need demand somebody's time or to talk to them uh, when they're going through a process like that. Give it some time. I understand that you may have lots of questions. I understand that there may be things you need to know. Um, talk to somebody else. You know, there was a group of four or five people that were around me. You could talk to one of them or just wait. Um, it's just overwhelming. Um, the next thing, and I want to be a little tender with this because this was coming from people who had my best intentions in mind, who really were looking out for me. But I also got some warnings from people who saying things like, I like, be really careful with these folks, be really careful about your energy, be really careful about having protection up. Um, they may try to reach out and hurt you. Uh, magically or energetically. Um, You can tell I feel a little salty about the second thing. I don't feel salty about this. And I want to be really clear that I absolutely appreciated everybody's concern for me that said this. Um, I totally, totally, totally appreciate that folks have experienced negative things. Um, I totally want to honor that folks feel like they may have experienced negative like energetic repercussions from breaking with the school um in that moment it was very frightening to receive those warnings and one of the things that I talk about I don't even know if I got to talk about it in the zine because I don't think I had the information to talk about it but one of the things that happened in the subsequent posts I wrote after publishing the zine was this whole idea of a of a psychic attack it was a tool that was used quite a bit within the school Um, like I said people were told that I psychically attacked them it was a way to smear other people it was used as a manipulative technique sometimes to punish students within the school it was definitely used to kick people out of the school I think we need to be really careful um like using the same techniques that the school is using on other people. So in that regard, I'm going to just offer a helpful suggestion, um, which is if you feel like you are worried about the safety of somebody who's come forward and you work within a magical practice that, you know, encounters things like protection, or even if you don't, like even just practically, take a step on the behalf of the person themselves, like throw a little energetic protection their way, light a candle for them, pray for them, whatever it is you do. Even reach out 
to the people surrounding them or just add your voice in to protect them. But there were moments where those voices coming at me, warning me that I could get hurt energetically were very frightening and... um I think it might be a better practice to just simply throw some protection somebody's way rather than to try to um, inadvertently, nobody intentionally tried to scare me. Um, but yeah, that was that was a hard part. Um, another, the fourth thing that was kind of difficult was folks getting in touch with me to tell me that they agree with most of what I said, but not everything. And I want to be really clear here. I don't need everybody to agree with me. Right after publishing a piece on this, I don't actually need to hear about what you agree with and what you don't. Like if we run into each other, these are people that weren't, you know, they. I don't live in Portland anymore and they do. If we run into each other and it's a moment where it seems like we have enough intimacy to have that conversation Absolutely. You can ask me if it's okay to share what you don't agree with about my analysis of the story. But right after, right after I've published something that's a pretty tender, uh, pretty vulnerable thing to publish that I put a lot, a lot of work in, you don't need to agree with me, but I also don't need to hear about it. Um, And then... I guess the fifth thing was just people trying to argue with me about what they thought a cult was, Um, which, you know, like I said, I've said a thousand times, I don't need to, I actually don't, I'm not staking, I don't need to live or die by the word cult. Um, If it's a useful framework to help people unpack and liberate themselves from oppressive structures, good, use it. If it's not, don't, I don't care. Um, So that was the fifth thing that was, that was pretty unhelpful. Um, And then the sixth thing, this is just addressed directly to the founder of the school. So when you apologize to somebody, it's really helpful if you could name what you feel like you did to harm them. I also want to just put another note out there. I have heard that a couple people within leadership from the school, so um, people who have left the school, like the other main teacher in the school and some of the student teachers have voiced that they're not going to reach out to people specifically, but if anybody feels like they need an apology, they should contact them. And I just want to say, I think that's lazy. I think it's lazy and I think it's requiring folks that you've harmed to do too much work on your behalf. There is nothing wrong with doing some self-examination and identifying how you may have harmed folks and putting it out there. And if you do not feel like, if you feel like legitimately a person would be freaked out by you reaching out to apologize to them, ask a friend of theirs, say, hey, I feel like I really need to apologize and make amends towards blank. Would you ask them if it's okay if I get in touch with them just to send an apology? I will write an it in an email and send it to them. Would you find out if that's okay? That's a really low, like low impact way that you can apologize to somebody. But simply putting a blanket statement out there and saying, if anybody feels like they need an apology from me, I'm open to hearing about it is lazy. It's lazy. Don't do it. All right. Let's talk about what was helpful that week 
or that month, or it was really a month. It was a month right after everything came out. And then, you know, things slowly de-escalated over the next several months. And now it's been a year and a half and I'm finally able to like speak about this um, and not kind of get all twisted around. So um, what was really helpful? If you are thinking about doing this or going through this process, here are some really helpful things. Uh, Have your community around you, like know who you're going to surround yourself with, kind of have your group. Um, For me, I just want to name them and thank them. Um, So Lindsay and Stevie and Rhea and Kayleen and Kim and my wife, like we're all really helpful. Thank you guys. Um, Having you guys checking in with me, having you guys, like I had folks, um, I'll talk about that's my next one. having folks read emails for me, having folks relay things to me um, that so I didn't have to do it. And I'm going to talk about that in the last one. Um, For me, having daily energy clearings. So I practice an energy clearing technique. And I didn't even plan this. But sometimes we do group clearings where we all like a group of us just get together and we all clear each other. And each person, you know, you clear one person in the circle each day. And so I was getting a daily clearing for the week that that happened. Somebody was clearing my energy every day. And I would say that's also the best way to work with the whole protection thing. So if you believe in kind of bad energy could come your way, simply rather than getting all caught up in trying to accuse somebody or because there's no way to know where it's coming from. There's no way to prove it. Much better to just attend to your own energy and get yourself cleared and make sure you're clear and have somebody out there doing that work for you on your behalf than to get worried up in accusing other people of, you know, sending you bad shit. Um, The third thing that was helpful was just, one, allowing myself to binge on social media if I wanted to. So this process, I spent a long time writing this thing. And then also I realized I had a lot more to say after. And so I really just gave myself permission to binge if I needed to, to respond to people, to write things, to really articulate the thing. It's like sometimes when you open your mouth and you finally get the words, it's really, really nice to have them come out. And then also simultaneously also allowing myself to step away. So about a three weeks after this happened, I went on a vacation with my family and I actually was just really glad I didn't have to be on Instagram. Um, number four is being okay with not having to talk to everybody who slides into your DMs. Um, you don't have to answer everybody you, or you don't have to set up a meetings with people you don't even have to respond but you also don't have to respond like you know you could just say I'm really overwhelmed right now actually I can't I can't talk to you and I definitely said that to a lot of people um and even people I'm actually just now realizing there's folks that I actually just want to I'm just now feeling like I have the energy to get back to um folks who offered really kind and wonderful things, but I just was so overwhelmed that I didn't, I didn't have the capacity for it. Um, Number five, it was really helpful having folks thank me. It was really helpful, the people who reached out just to say, I really appreciate that you did this. I resonated with what you wrote. My story is similar. Even if they were never in the school, just saying something like, look, 
you articulated something that was super helpful for me. Thank you. Super helpful. Um, number six, taking my time with this. Like I said, it was like six years in the making. And the last two of those was editing and re-editing and just really taking my time. And honestly, I don't know. I feel like I, I feel skeptical about a lot of the things I learned in that witch school, but the idea of really staying attuned to when the right time is for something, I feel pretty rock solid about that. So take your time if you're working on something like this. Like there's no rush. There's no hurry. You don't have to beat anybody to it. Uh, make sure you're ready and take your time. Number seven, super helpful for me to somatically process the trauma before speaking out, right? So trauma states um, get stuck in our body. They're things that we weren't able to process. So some of my conversations, some of the things that happened to me in my initiation process were lodged in my body as trauma, like they were sort of stuck in frozen moments, Um they were, I would call them small T traumas. You know, there was no large trauma that happened. Just small T relational, mm, what do I want to call it? Misattunement sounds too kind, but just small T, just kind of a, ra- a relational badness happening. It's still stuck. It got me in the places where I was already stuck. So it was really helpful for me to work with a somatic therapist who could help me walk back through those moments and correct them, not erase them, but just allow my nervous system to process and discharge and um, complete the process. And for that, again, I'm in a name Carmen Spaniola because I was eternally grateful to her for giving, doing sessions with her and and allowing um, that to happen. Because then by the time I was speaking out, it was sort of this, it, this stuff carried a low charge for me. Um, the charges had been diffused, if you will. So it was much easier to take the fact that folks, some folks didn't agree with me. Um, and then number eight, I, I alluded to this earlier, but not directly. I made a boundary that I wasn't going to directly read the words of my former teachers. So I wasn't going to read emails they wrote. I wasn't going to read statements they made. I blocked them all on social media long before this happened. I did have somebody keep me up to date, but they asked consent before they let me know. They'd say, hey, so somebody somebody released a statement do you want to know about it and then I'd sort of be like well give me just the rundown of it really really thankful to the people I had a friend uh, or a person in the school reach out I was still on the email list apparently and somebody reached out to make sure that 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 um that I had that they you know did I, did I actually want to be receiving school emails at that time, which I didn't. And I was very, so thank you to that person who did that. That was a very kind thing. Um, that's a very kind way to take care of somebody who's involved in this process. And I appreciate it. Um, so if you're going to go through this, make sure you know, like when you line up your crew, you know, your people, like I said, my folks that I had, sort of my team, my support team, like they were kind of on call for me, right? Like I called one of them, 
you know, early one morning and she just talked me down off a ledge of feeling scared that, that, you know, I was going to get harmed energetically by these folks. So when you kind of have your crew around you, make sure you have somebody um, who is willing to read your emails and vet them for you first. Uh, Because you don't need to be reading the words of these folks, you know, that you just said, you just took a very tender thing, you know, to speak out about. Like, you don't you don't need to be directly reading their words. Sometimes that stuff gets in in places and there's still wounds to heal. So just have somebody read the email for you and kind of summarize it. And then it's like you kind of know what's coming and you can decide later if you want to read it. Um, So I think that's it. That's all I got to say on this subject. And that is a lot. Um, Like I said, if you want a copy of the zine, if you're curious now, you can order it on my website. Um, There are other folks coming forward about their experiences with the school. Um, And yeah, just grateful to everybody who participated in this process and who's continuing to participate in this process. And um, yeah, work through it. So like I said, this is a call for submissions. Um, I would love to interview you. Are you or is somebody you know working on weaving the world back together? So here's some examples, uh, certainly not limited to these topics, but these are some things I'm interested in. I'd love to talk about reparations. Uh, I'd love to talk about trauma healing. I'd love to talk about a just transition away from fossil fuels and one that centers indigenous communities. Um, I'd love to talk about ancestral healing. I'd love to talk about ancestral skills, reviving some of the low-tech skills that our ancestors did. I want to talk about transformative justice. I want to talk about repair work. I want to talk about disability justice. I'd love your stories of friendships that you repaired. Um, I'd love your stories about family uh, reunification or healing that was generational healing that was allowed to happen. I'd love to hear your story about overcoming childhood trauma. I'd love to hear about your connection with your animal kin and stories about how that is nurtured or stories that just exemplify the bond that exists there. I'd love to talk to you if you are skilled in facilitation, intuition development, survival skills, disaster prepping, political organizing, trauma healing. Um, I'd love to talk to you about your ritual practice or the worker-owned collective that you started or belong to. I'd love to talk to you about the neighborhood you live in and perhaps any projects of mutual aid that are going there. I want to be clear here. I don't just want to talk to folks on this podcast that have a social media following or an internet business that they want to promote. I actually would love to talk to you regardless of whether you have 30,000 followers or three followers. I think that I really am interested in combating this echo chamber of fame that we've created here on the internet. So 
I just want to hear your story. Um, anyone who feels like they're doing the work of weaving something new, please get in touch with me. There is a contact form on my website, alisoncar.net. Um, write me a note, let me know the work you're doing. And if it fits with the scope of this podcast, I would love to interview you. Um, I'm going to drop all the links to people, books, podcasts, other things I mentioned in this uh, episode that um, you may want to get a hold of. I, of course, will drop a link to my zine if you would like to order a copy of that. It makes me so happy any time one of those goes out in the world. This thing is really is, I feel very um, parental about it. Uh, I don't know. I may read it someday and be like, oh, I can't believe I thought that was a good piece of writing. But for right now, I'm just kind of proud of it. Uh, Maybe it's not the best piece of writing in the world, but I do feel like I reach some emotional honesty within it. And for me as a writer, that was an accomplishment. Um... Thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, this has been Warp and Weft. <laughs>